Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, October 22nd, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to talk about what we've been up to at the water cooler. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend Editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Writer Swytran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. What? Is Chris not here? Wait, Chris isn't on the call. What? <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> we didn't even know uh, How do we not notice that he wasn't even here? Because Chris doesn't talk until he needs to, so we all assume. <laughs> <laughs> I, I may as well leave this in the podcast, I guess. Chris, uh, he literally just messaged in the daily podcast, I'm on whenever we're ready. <laughs> Are you here? I sure am. Can you hear me? Hi. Hey, Chris. Hi. So, uh, okay. So now we are joined by Slash Film writer Chris Evangelista. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, who, by the way, seems to be the favorite uh, co-host of this podcast. I, I went to the Magic Castle uh, this weekend with a, a friend for his birthday, and he was telling me how much he enjoys Chris on this podcast. Oh, well, thank you, friend, whoever you yes, are. I name, appreciate it. His name's Ryan. Okay, so let's jump into this. It's the water cooler. Let's talk about what we've been up to. I'll get things started. Uh, this past week has been filled with me trying to find a Halloween costume. I mentioned this last week. Uh, I am a bigger guy. I'm in the uh, heavier range of the 200s. Uh, but that said, even in a place like L.A. where everybody is in shape, I do see a lot of people that are much bigger than me on a regular basis. Uh, you know, I, I would not consider myself like the biggest guy in the room most of the time. Uh, but looking for a Halloween costume is horrible. Like I, I went to like three different Halloween stores and I could not find a Halloween costume that was one something I wanted to wear. You know, not like some generic pirate generic grim Re reaper that kind of thing uh and fit me at the same time 
but luckily, I was able to find a Mike Myers costume at Hollywood Costumes and Toys. It's a year-round thing there. And uh, unfortunately, it's a uh, Mike Myers costume from the Rob Zombie uh, iteration. So, oh, I was hoping you were going as Mike Myers, the comedian. No, no, not going as Mike Myers, the comedian. Going Mike <laughs> Myers, the serial killer. But oh, you mean Michael Myers? Yes. Michael Myers. You should go as a fiend from Michael Baby Myers. Driver. Mike Myers. Yes. He's not uh, your buddy. He he is my buddy. I'm going to be wearing his costume, although it's a <laughs> it's a different shade of jumpsuit. It's a different mask. I don't like it, guys. But uh, and I'm sure people are going to come up, to, come up, coming up to me and being like, "Why aren't you wearing the real Michael Myers costume?" I hope the real Michael Myers comes up to you and says, "Hey, screw you, buddy." <laughs> but I'm I'm really curious. Like, why do you guys think that like they don't make Halloween costumes for bigger people? <laughs> I mean, it's the same reason they don't make like the most fashionable clothes for bigger people <laughs> unless unless you want to make like the you know or spend a, a ton of money on it you know i mean <sighs> it's for the majority of people like clothes are smaller sizes you know and so it's you know it's that's just how it is as a big as a bigger guy i feel your pain peter but i've actually remedied it by just doing costumes that allow me to wear regular clothes that i can easily find like in like a, a big and tall section if necessary or on amazon like this year i went to a halloween party as wreck it ralph and i just found my size of brown overalls and wore uh, a plaid shirt under it and got the the right wig to be wreck it ralph and just ran around the party saying i was gonna wreck stuff <laughs> see that's what i should have done i should have like kind of cobbled together a you know custom costume but uh, by the time I, like, started actually looking, like, even, like, ordering, like, a jumpsuit, because I was, like, looking into that, I was going to make a Ghostbusters costume, even that, like, was going to take over, you know, a week to get to me, because you had to, like, buy it from, like, the Dickies website or or whatever. Um, but, okay, anyways, uh, so, yeah, I found my Halloween costume. I'm excited for Halloween. It kicks off this week at the Magic Castle, so I'll be going to that. Uh, I mentioned last week i went to that new doctor uh go forward which is kind of like the doctor of the future i got a dna test i had uh submitted my saliva sample and i got my dna results back not for my uh health aspect of it yet i'm gonna go to the doctor to that but i got my ancestry results back and uh, i am actually shocked uh even knowing what i know about uh like the three generations above me uh, I'm shocked at how different my my uh, where I came from is from where I what I thought it was going to be. So I I would recommend anybody who has an interest in that uh, checking it out. I, I know there's a couple different services. I think Ancestry.com does one. We I did uh, 23andMe, and I think it's like a hundred bucks or something. But uh, it's it's filled with all sorts of like interesting details you can even like find like close cousins and stuff like that that share your dna you can uh, find them anyways uh i also uh oh i mentioned i was at the magic castle this past week i saw the most awkward stage performance i've ever seen ever okay so let me paint the picture for you guys okay so uh this was a slow night. It was in midweek, so there wasn't many people in the castle for some strange reason. And um, we were waiting outside the parlor, which is this mid-sized room, fits 60 people. 
Um, and there was only 10 of us there. And usually the magician who's performing there can decide not to perform if they don't fill up half the audience. So get 30 people. Uh, but he he was from Australia. He had flown in from Australia. So he decided that he was going to do the show even for 10 people. So that filled up like the first row and the second row had me, the photographer from the Magic Castle, and one other guy. And uh, th- this magician's amazing. He, he's he been on uh, Penn & Teller Fool Us. He uh, opens his show producing, I think, like eight tall glasses of beer from like uh, an empty brown paper bag. Uh, that'll come into play later. Okay, so... Um, at the end of the show, he's he's mostly a comedy magician. End of the show, he has a serious. Uh, he's trying to do this uh, trick that kind of paints magic as art, as kind of like a serious music to it, and whatever. Uh, he 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 goes to the crowd to get someone to come up on stage with him to participate in this in this uh, trick. And he picks one of uh, the young women in the first row. And she, she comes up on stage. She sits on the chair. And uh, he has her pick um, from, like, 60 cards that have celebrity names on them. Right? And she picks a card and then starts ugly crying up on stage for apparently no reason. Like, like not just, like, a little bit crying. Like, ugly crying. And, like, the magician didn't know what to do, and he was like, are you okay? And she's, she was like, yeah, I'm just emotional. And she asked the magician if she could chug one of the beers that was on, like, the table behind them that he had pulled out of the brown paper bag, which I'm not even sure were beers because, I don't know, maybe they're just colored water or something. But uh, he, not knowing what to do, agreed, so she chugs, like, entire you know, one of those huge, uh, tall glasses of beer. Uh, you can tell I don't drink beer because I don't know what that's called. What is that called, guys? What, like a the, the glass name? Yeah, like Pilsner a, or like something. A, I don't like know. A, like a pint. You're thinking? Yeah, of, I guess. Just... I guess it's a pint. No, but yeah. it's not like it's not girthy. It's tall. <laughs> Nope. A Stein? Stein? I don't, I don't know. Okay, anyways. <laughs> uh, anyway, she, 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 she chugs the beer, and during the rest of his act, which is set to music, and it's supposed to be this artsy, beautiful thing, she's still crying uh, during the whole thing. And the whole audience, except for her friends, like seem to her friends seem to think that this is a normal thing. Like, or, or at least acting like it's normal. And the whole rest of the audience is, like, looking at each other like, what is going on here? This is so incredibly uncomfortable and weird. And, uh, yeah, it was just really strange. And for the rest of the night, I've, uh, me and uh, other people there were trying to figure out what might have happened. Uh, our, our two theories are, one, maybe she just broke up with her boyfriend because when she got called up to stage, she uh, said to the magician, like, are you single? So that, that that's the one piece of evidence there. And then the second thing was she picked a card that said Marilyn Monroe. And we're wondering maybe she had like some kind of deep connection to Marilyn Monroe. Or maybe she has some ancestry to Marilyn Monroe. Or I don't know. It, it was just weird and awkward and uh, uncomfortable for everybody involved. So, yeah. That, that that's what I did this uh, past week, uh, Jacob. What have you been up to? 
Uh, as I teased last week, I went to two haunted houses in the Austin, Texas area. Uh, Friday night at the House of Torment. And if you uh, live in Austin or have been through Austin around this time of the year, you've seen billboards for it. They're the big draw in, in the city. Uh, located in the big industrial park and giant warehouse. They have three big houses. Um, they're the big multi-million dollar operation. I go every year, and every year it's a good time. And this year was no different. It's They're, they're a very good haunted house. They have production values that are extremely high. There's clearly a lot of money put into them. It's comparable to uh, Universal Studios Halloween Horror Nights, if you ever have been there or watched videos of that event. Uh, lots of big special effects, animatronics, actors in full makeup. Just a really, really great show. They put on a really good show when you're in the house. Um, but the issue I had this year was that the house really hasn't changed over the past three years. There have been tweaks here and there, but it's been years since they've made like a massive theme change or had a new set piece or really changed things up or shaken things up. And the line situation is a nightmare. I mean, we bought the fast pass lines, a fast pass tickets, which means you get a, a shorter wait. But if we had bought general admission, we'd been in line for hours and hours and hours. And even then, there's also the more expensive skip the line tickets, uh, which means that even the fast pass people have to wait a little bit because there's so many skip the line tickets going through. And once you're in the house, it's a great time. Wait uh, a second, the, Jacob. How, how much yeah. do you, like these tickets run for like an event like this? Uh, I think we ended up paying. I think um, we we bought our tickets at a special uh, special pricing event where we were able to get our tickets for uh, $18 each, but that was because we bought at a very specific window uh, over a month ago. I think usually, off the top of my head, um, the skip the line tickets is, is maybe $60, fast pass is maybe $45, $50, and general admission is around $30. Oh, wow. Um, so it's, even though it's pretty much been the same thing, it's impressive, it's slick. Uh, the actors are extremely physical. They're very acrobatic. They're climbing over structures and leaping at you. And um, it's just a very fun trio of houses, even though in between houses, you're essentially waiting in line in a parking lot. The uh, management isn't great. The people running the line seem understaffed. Everybody seems like they're overwhelmed at all times. In between the actual haunted housing, it's not a great experience. And it was more noticeable than ever this year, which is why I want to talk about uh, Scream Hollow, which is a house about 45 minutes from Austin, uh, located near Bastrop, Texas, out in the middle of nowhere. You literally drive down dark country roads. It's turned onto a dirt, unpaved, uh, light-free road to get there at one point. And you're literally minutes from where they filmed the scenes from Texas Chance of Massacre. Uh, it's that kind of vibe in the middle of the woods. You get there and you park in the parking lot, which is literally a, dark, a dirt field, <laughs> grass and dirt field. And then you walk into the compound, and it is a massive fire pit with a stage with live music. There is a restaurant serving, um, you know, fast food, but food with tables and picnic tables everywhere, all outdoors, some covered. There is a uh, full-service bar. There is a gift shop. There is a palm reader. There are people, live entertainers. There are people in costume walking around scaring people and also posing for pictures. There is a corner full of rows of seats where they're playing old universal horror movies um, with subtitles on, so you can kind of hang out and watch movies on silent. And there are the four haunted houses, which are never as slick as House of Torment. They don't have like these multi-million dollar budget, I don't think. Uh, but they have this location, and they have uh, this sense, this, this a sense of atmosphere that you can't, you know, create in a parking lot in downtown Austin. It's you're walking through houses, like you enter one house. And you 
go through a series of rooms, then you exit out the back of the house, and suddenly you're, you're in the middle of the woods, following a trail of lights, and, you, and takes you to another building, enter a building in a few more rooms, you're out again in the middle of the woods, and all the houses are like this. All the houses are like dozens of buildings of you going in and out and having to like uh, navigate yourself around different locations, indoor and outdoor, and the actors are everywhere, and whereas the actors at House of Torment are hitting their marks, doing a scare, and then backing off, waiting for the next group to arrive, the actors at Scream Hollow... Uh, they talk to you. They actually form dialogues. They will try to like um, do scenes with you, ask you questions, follow you for longer if, if you're like engaging with them. Like at one point, I I told somebody, I told one of the actors in my group um, the name of one of my friends. I told, hey, my girl back, her name is Tony, and the actor started following Tony. She followed her for five minutes, going, Tony, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to eat you. I'm going to tear you apart, and and just started like um, creating like memorable moments and scenes with us and like clearly going away from the area her stage area because she saw that tony was freaked out and had an opportunity <laughs> to keep us entertained at one point um someone mentions the group behind us was also our friend so we mentioned our friend krista um we made sure her, that the scary actor heard her name and later on we, we learned that the scary actor jumped out of krista and said are you krista tony's dead and it was just these actors who had so much <laughs> So much freedom and so much, so much, so many improv skills are clearly trained to react to the groups and suss out the group and see how people are reacting. That unlike House of Torment, which is you know, like I said, this Hollywood production, this was like um, actors really engaging with us. And the four houses are so are very different. There's a zombie apocalypse. There's a uh, satanic church. There is a slaughterhouse run by redneck cannibals, and there's an ancient demon temple. And they're all so different. They're all so much fun. And whenever you went outside. There's no skip line passes, no fast passes, so everybody's on equal footing, but it was still well-managed and friendly, and the lines were never that bad, even on a Saturday night. And even when you're waiting, there's a, there's a live band, there's people juggling fire for, for entertainment, there's actors walking around, like, scaring people in line. There's a guy, there's, like, a six-foot-seven guy dressed as Jason Voorhees, wandering through one of the queues with a machete, just terrifying people. <laughs> and all this while you're out in the middle of Bastrop, looking up with a complete full sky full of stars and a full moon like so you're so far from the city that's all completely quiet except for um the band and when you're out in the house the house itself you can't hear the bands all you can hear is like the nature around you and occasionally some, some music and sound effects and I, i'm gonna end this i'm going on for a, way too long but as somebody who loves haunted attractions and does this every year scream hollow straight up embarrassed house torment this year and house torment will continue to be the big dog it's still the one in in austin and a lot of people won't want to drive the 45 minutes but if you're listening to me and you're and you're in Central Texas, Scream Hollow is one of a kind. I had one of the best weekends I've had in years going to Scream Hollow. You, you know, I've talked about these haunted attractions. You have talked about these haunted attractions. Even uh, Chris has said that he likes them, but he doesn't go to them. I'm kind of wondering about HT, Ben, and Brad. Uh, do, do you guys avoid these kind of things, or do, what is your experience with like kind of these haunted maze attra- like events? Let's start with uh, HD. I actually would like to experience something that is as immersive immersive as this, but I haven't really had the chance. I've been to like one or two haunted houses that were like local run ones and they were not great. So I've never had a good experience. And um, I think I told Jacob this and he was like, we have to remedy that. But yeah, (laughs) I've, I've always been fascinated by haunted houses, especially ones that are like that are um, interactive. Um, I remember reading about this one in Japan where they, where you can go to basically an old um, 
abandoned hospital and then you get a mission and have to like throw a curse into a fire in the middle of the hospital and then like one ghost just chases you around the entire time <laughs> and I love that idea but I've never actually had the opportunity to do something like this there's maybe I just haven't done enough research I haven't like you know, putting a lot of thought into doing these or like going out of my way to do them. So, but I do like the idea now that you guys are so enthusiastically talking about them. <laughs> well, he's moving to New York City soon. I think there's, you know, a big city like that, you can have a lot more options than you currently do. So we'll do some research next year and make it happen. Cool. Yeah. Uh, ben, how about you? I, I think you've said that you haven't gone to any of these, have you? Yeah, I've never been to Halloween Horror Nights or any of that stuff, despite even living in Orlando for uh, about a year, uh, maybe two years, actually. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've, just, I've never been like a huge horror guy. So the idea of like going into an immersive experience uh, where people are jumping out at you has never really been something that that um, really uh, sounded like my cup of tea. So I just sort of haven't checked them out but, but you did do that it house though when it was in hollywood that's true that's true is yeah. that something that like you could just never do again like it's not it's no it, i mean it certainly didn't uh it didn't scar me for life or anything like that it, it was fine it just wasn't um i imagine that the, the types of experiences that you guys are talking about are way more immersive and like uh impressive frankly than that which was fine i mean the it house was really cool but it was very clearly something that um, was limited in its scope and was uh, put together in you know a, a few days or a week or however long it took to build. And these things sound like you know they have full they have like actors who are like really participating in the, in the experience. And the it stuff was more like um, it was more ambiance driven than like yeah. uh, experiential, I guess. So um, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm I'm not opposed to the idea. I've just never uh, <laughs> I've never been one to seek it out myself. We're going to have to encourage you to go to one of the things next year. Uh, Brad, how about you? Is there they're not these uh, haunted events in Indiana? Uh, no, there's definitely some uh, plenty of stuff around. Uh, it's, it's just not my thing. Um, I love going to see horror movies and that kind of thing, but going to haunted houses and stuff like that, it's just I don't really like people getting up in my personal space. Um, <laughs> and like I, I feel like if I'm going through and something jumps out at me, I'm just going to end up punching <laughs> thing that jumps out at me and, and no one's gonna want me back um it's just yeah i'm just that's not for me it's gonna end with brad getting kicked out and getting a restraining order uh okay brad what have you been up to this past week uh well actually i've been pretty annoyed uh this actually just happened to me yesterday um my, i haven't used my xbox in a while and i was about to yesterday to uh put in uh a, a dvd copy of a movie and my tv wasn't recognizing my that the Xbox One was connected to it. It was it was on, and it should have been recognizing it. And I like I swapped around the HDMI cables to see if that was an issue. I, I swapped them out with something else that was connected to the TV that definitely worked. I tried a different HDMI slot, um, and it just was not working. And I put plugged it into another TV that I had to see if that was uh, if it was an Xbox issue, if it was a TV issue. And it worked perfectly on my other TV, so it seems to be an Xbox issue. And I looked this up, and it sounds like there's some kind of problem that hasn't been resolved yet with some Samsung TVs where all of a sudden it just stops recognizing that the Xbox One is plugged into an HDMI slot. And it doesn't seem like there's any real remedy for it. Um, my, the, the firmware on my TV is totally up to date. My Xbox One is, is up to date. 
And there's just it's it's just a problem apparently that has happened. There's like a there was like a forum that I found where people were pissed off at, and there was all these like troubleshooting things as far as swapping the cords, which is exactly what I did, doing a a, a soft uh, reboot so that you reset the resolution settings, which didn't work. Um, so I'm not really sure what the issue is. So if there's anybody out there who works at Samsung or works at Microsoft and knows how to fix this, or if you're having the same problem and you fix it yourself, please let me know. Because as of right now, I can't use my Xbox on the, the TV that I like to use. Well, Brad, it sounds like you need to buy a new TV. Uh, that's that's not going to be a good idea. <laughs> I just I, I guess if I just want to use my Xbox, I'll just have to put it on my other TV and just, you know, it's it's a first world problem, obviously, but it's it's still very frustrating. Yeah, that that is annoying. Okay, let's move on to what we've been reading. Uh, Jacob, what have you been reading? Uh, Continue my trend of reading uh, horror books this month. I read Pen Pal by Dathan Auerbach. This is something I think a lot of people have read before it was a book. It originated as a series of forum posts, uh, creepypasta stories, uh, years ago. And eventually uh, Mr. Auerbach collected them all into a book, cleaned them up a bit, and self-published it. The movie rights were actually bought in 2012, but nothing has happened yet. And reading it, uh, it was recommended by people who told me it was genuinely scary, and they're they're right. It's very scary. I, I read it almost entirely in one sitting. It was just edge of my seat, chewing my nails, upset by it. Uh, the basic gist of it is uh, it is an adult uh, recounting a series of childhood memories that, he, that he's did not realize were connected and doing more investigations and learning from his from his mom. Um, certain things that fill in certain holes in his childhood memories about horrifying things that were happening right outside of his field of understanding when he was a young man. I'll leave it at that in case you want to read it. Cause it's really about the, the mystery uncovering the puzzle of him discovering what happened to him when he was a kid, what happened to his, his social circle and everybody around him. And it definitely feels like something that was written uh, as on the internet at times. It is the prose is sometimes really choppy. It's maybe too flowery for its own good. It's very much a first novel, very much a, a self-published first novel, uh, but points for where it does work. And when it gets scary, it gets really scary. And reading it, I kept on thinking it would make a much better film than it would a book possibly because there's elements there that I think would play out really well on the screen. Uh, so we'll see if the movie ever happens. Uh, it is a very scary book, but you know it's not high art. It's just more of a really frightening experience. For sure. Ben, you've also been reading something. Yeah, I read uh, Ray Bradbury's The Halloween Tree. Um, I think if I remember right, Chris talked about this about this time last year. And uh, I grew up watching the, I think it was 1993, there was an animated version of this story that Ray Bradbury wrote and uh, and narrated. So I grew up watching that when I was a kid, and I really loved the story, and I just have never gotten around to actually reading the novel, but I found it at this used bookstore not too long ago and uh, had been saving it for October, the Halloween season, uh, to make it more appropriate. So it's a very, very quick read, and it's a really cool story. It's basically about these kids who go trick-or-treating on Halloween and, and basically get uh, caught in this whirlwind experience of going through time to discover why they're dressed as the characters that they're dressed up as. Like they learn about the history of witches and the history of uh, gargoyles and all all sorts of, uh, you know, cool things like that. Um, so it, it's a very simple story, but uh, Bradbury really, I mean, his prose is, is so, uh, I mean, I used the word experiential earlier, but it, it, it's very, I don't know, Chris, what do you think about this book to help me out here? 
Oh, it's great. Um, yeah, uh, Bradbury's prose is it's it's very whimsical and magical, and he has a great way of saying. Uh, he has a great way of putting like feelings into words because the, the way he he strings sentences together are ways that like no one would ever <laughs> think to string them together. Like they they don't read like normal sentences, but just the vibe he, he's able to invoke with just a few words is just incredible. He's uh, he's one of my favorite writers. Yeah, it's super evocative. And it's it's one of those things that sort of like makes you um, like nostalgic for. And I, I think this is separate from the fact that I grew up watching the animated version, but it just sort of makes you nostalgic for like this perfect Halloween experience that you had when you were a kid. Even if you never actually had that experience, it just it captures that feeling so well and that vibe so well so um anybody who loves halloween i think this is a a book definitely worth reading i think it's you know it's probably more designed for kids but i i obviously enjoyed it as an adult too i'm gonna have to check this out i am a big uh disneyland fanatic as you guys know and in frontierland in front of the golden horseshoe saloon during this time of year uh, is this big tree that is decorated with uh, red and orange lights and has uh, uh, jack-o'-lanterns hanging from it. It, it is the the Halloween um, tree, which uh, is, is based and inspired by this book. Uh, Bradbury, I'm not sure if you guys knew, but he uh, helped develop uh, some attractions at Disneyland and uh, Disney World Resorts, uh, most notably uh, Spaceship Earth at Epcot. And uh, in, I want to say the late 90s, let me see. Uh, it, uh, no, actually 2007 uh, is when they uh, they made this Halloween tree for Bradbury in Disneyland uh, and uh, dedicated it toward, to him. Obviously, he uh, had passed uh, before that. But uh, so, if you're in Disneyland ever, uh, Chris and Ben, uh, you can uh, during Halloween time you can visit the actual Halloween tree. Um, one of the the rare occasions where you can find a property not created by Walt Disney, you know, kind of in his Magic Kingdom. Uh, but okay, let's move on to what we've been watching. Uh, I'll start this one off with Halloween because I think uh, all of us have seen this movie at this point. Uh, I thought it was very good. Uh, I, judging by the buzz coming out of Fantastic Fest and uh, Toronto International Film Festival, I was uh, expecting it to be amazing. And I, I think it was a, a couple steps below amazing it, it's good but not great uh i think the soundtrack's awesome i'm gonna have to download that and for someone like me to say i'm gonna download the soundtrack uh nowadays and i'm not listening listening to much music uh it's just um, it's just great uh all around uh i love the third act i thought the film had fun kills i uh i do think it's kind of uh funny how far this movie goes to get Michael Myers out of prison with the mask that he wore with a jumpsuit and a knife it's almost kind of a comical series of like we have to get him to this place so he can get the mask and we have to get him to some place where he can get a jumpsuit I don't know Uh, I'm not spoiling anything but I I just found that a little bit funny I I did find uh, the comedy to be a little bit out of place at times, especially like 
the two cops in the car having a discussion about a sandwich. It just didn't seem to further the plot or just, I don't know, fit. Uh, and uh, the the thing I hate about the movie, we'll talk uh, another day about, but I hated the do- the doctor, the, uh, you know, the Loomis replacement. And uh, we won't get further into that today. But um, I guess let's start with uh, Ben. You also saw Halloween. I did, yeah. Um, I had just watched the previous one, or actually like, the original one, the 1978, 78, I think, is when the first one came out. Um, so, yeah, this was uh, it was sort of fresh on my mind. And um, going into this sequel, I had a really good time with it. I mean, I think, I, I guess I would... I would agree with you, Peter, that it was uh, that it was good and not great for me. Um, I, but I I think this is about as good as they could have done with, um, you know, resurrecting this story for the modern era. Um, I think there's a lot of really interesting thematic stuff in it that I don't necessarily want to get into right now because I feel like it might spoil the experience for people. But um yeah, I, 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 I think there's a lot going on in this movie that is worth discussing. I just don't know if right this second is the time that we should discuss it. But, yeah, uh, yeah maybe we'll have a, a more detailed conversation about it later on. Yeah, I think we'll have to do a whole spoiler discussion episode uh, later this week. Uh, but, Brad, I know you saw this movie and you loved it. I did, yeah. It's just uh, I think that it's this it's this fantastic uh, homage to the original, but also uh, progresses the franchise into a direction that is great for the character of uh, Laurie Schrode. And it's um, especially I think during this I don't know this time in sort of uh, society and culture, it has a lot to say about trauma and how we deal with it and survival um, and fighting back and. It, you know, aside from that, just just the general Halloween, you know, aspect of it, you know, it's it's great to have Michael Myers back. Uh, he's you know, he's more brutal this time. Like you said, the score is fantastic. There's a lot of, you know, clap and cheer worthy moments. Um, there's there's great references like Easter eggs uh, to the original movie um, that are both like, you know, kind of winks and nods, but also really clever ways of turning the you know um what people would expect on its uh on its side and yeah i just i i really really enjoyed it i also and i don't have a problem with some of the things that you guys are talking about that we're not digging into in in detail um i actually think that it works really well in the context of of the movie um and yeah it's just i i, I was so satisfied with it it was, it was pretty much exactly what i wanted from a sequel like this ht you also saw this movie yes i'm on the camp of I liked it I didn't love it I've also never been a huge fan of the slasher genre but I actually quite liked what this movie did and how it kind of doesn't quite fulfill a lot of expectations I have with the slasher genre specifically I guess I can't get into spoilers for this either but definitely how um, it's driven more by Laurie Strode's um, narrative and her struggling with her trauma and PTSD and um, it's it's yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. I, I I like that it kind of is more in the vein of like the legacy sequels that we've seen, like Force Awakens, uh, what that did with Star Wars, or what Creed did with Rocky, and it kind of feels like it's bringing an old familiar story into a new era, and um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it, and I um um I did I have I had I liked also liked the third act part. 
better than you did, Peter. But yeah, I think there's some there's a lot of juicy stuff to get into this movie yeah. about that I would love to talk about and like really get down and analyze. But I can't really get into that here. But yeah, it was a fun romp. Um, it was it was a great time, and um, I yeah I I found myself enjoying myself quite a lot. Yeah, we'll definitely get into the discussion later this week. Uh, Jacob and Chris, I know you both have already spoken about this movie uh, on this podcast before, but is there anything either of you would want to add? Um, well, I went and saw it again over the weekend because my wife wanted to see it. And I, I, I ended up liking it even more the second time than I did at TIFF. I think I was like overwhelmed at TIFF. Not that I disliked it at TIFF, I gave it a good review, but I was so overwhelmed at the experience that I, I walked out sort of like in a daze and seeing it again this time with like a clear head and knowing what happens in it i ended up liking it even more um i i also do not like the the doctor stuff which again we'll talk about later um but it didn't bother me as much this time as it did the first time i saw it and uh beyond that i mean there's some great stuff in this i mean uh without giving away spoilers uh Judy Greer has a scene near the end of the film, which is like the most satisfying movie scene I've seen all year. And if, if we end up doing like a list of our, our favorite scenes of the year, it's, it's definitely going to be on my list. Well, cool. Uh, let's move on to what else I've been watching. Uh, I spent the weekend watching Netflix stuff because Netflix just releases so much stuff every Friday. It seems like it's impossible to watch it all. Uh, I watched uh, the Darren Brown uh, special sacrifice. Darren Brown is this UK uh, mentalist uh, who has recently been doing kind of specials where he it's like hidden camera stuff where he uh, puts a person in a situation and tries to orchestrate the situation in a way to lead to like some big moment. And this is his latest one. This one's a Netflix original, though the previous ones were released, I think, in the UK, either on BBC or something. Uh, yeah. And uh, this one it was released just for Netflix. Although, judging by the the show itself it seems like it was made for broadcast television because there's like moments where it seems like there's kind of like that moment before a commercial where it's kind of teasing what's coming up next and you don't want to you know turn the channel kind of thing uh so it doesn't seem like it was made specifically for netflix to me but um okay so what this is is darren brown's sacrifice is uh he did this big casting where he had like hundreds of people and he found one person to follow for the show. And this was a man who lives in the U.S. who thinks that illegals are ruining America. So it's very uh, you know, <laughs> set in today's time and uh, very uh, topical. Uh, and basically the whole show is bringing this guy to a point where at the end of the show, he's going to be in a place where a Mexican man is going to have a gun pointed at him. And hopefully this guy, the experiences that this guy has had, it has changed him in a way that he will actually step in front of the in front of the bullet to protect the, the the illegal that he supposedly hates. Uh, now I I know this this is he's taking a complex issue here and he's simplifying it down to almost a silly uh, thing, but it's 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 kind of enjoyable in the way of uh, 
I kind of love, you know, those moments in Truman Show where the you, we see the, you know, the director behind the scenes orchestrating, you know, this cast of people to try to get Truman to do specific things. And this is that kind of thing, but in a show format. And uh, I don't know. Is it real? Uh, you know, Brown has a uh, history of being a magician uh, you know, the, the mentalism is not real. There's, you know, it's, it, they're glorified magic tricks for the most part. Uh, but I would say out of all his specials, this is believable. I actually believe, uh, the whole thing and I believe where this whole thing takes it. And I, I would recommend seeing it. It's not, uh, I wouldn't say it's great, but it's, it's, it's enjoyable watch. And, um, I also watched uh, Making a Murderer season two. I watched the first couple episodes of that. Uh, have a- any of you guys started watching this? No, I heard it was really bad. What did you think about it, Peter? Uh, well, I am only two episodes in. I will say the first episode is worth watching because it's it does something that not many documentaries or docu shows do. And the first episode is kind of basically addressing the aspect of. Uh, you know, these people in these situations that have been profiled in that first season of Making a Murderer, it's it's addressing what this TV show, this phenomenon has done to this town, to these people, to these, you know, to everything. It's, it's kind of addressing the consequences of, you know, a documentary, um, which is kind of interesting. And it also talks about, you know, the controversies of of what was left out of that initial season. And they do get into that here. Uh, you know, there is a new uh, lawyer who has come up to defend Stephen Avery. And uh, she is an interesting character. And this season seems to be following her her journey of trying to figure out her case uh, to try to get Stephen Avery out of jail. Unfortunately... Uh, starting in the second episode, it's kind of boring. Uh, it turns out uh, watching a lawyer go through the work of trying to investigate how they're going to do a case is not as compelling as watching, you know, uh, 10, 15 years of footage and going through like this, you know, twists and turns that we saw in season one of the show. I'm going to still try to watch it. I'm only uh, two and a half episodes in, but uh yeah, I would recommend seeing the first episode because the first episode is kind of uh, just very interesting in how it kind of it even like, you know, goes and talks to, uh, you know, people that knew the victim of the whole thing and how they feel about the show and, and everything. I thought that was, uh, I don't know, it was just a, a very cool way of doing it. Um, and I did uh, start watching The Haunting of Hill House. Uh, I only watched one episode. I don't think the show's for me. I'm not saying it's bad. It's a good show. I just don't think it's uh, my type of thing. I know Chris likes it a lot. Uh, Jacob, what what have you been watching? Oh, I revisited The Night Comes For Us, which I saw at Fantastic Fest and talked about on this podcast. It's uh, Timo Tejanto's, uh <laughs> extremely, extremely violent Indonesian action movie that... Uh, 
is unlike any action movie I've ever seen, just people being decimated in stunts and action scenes that make me wonder how they pulled it off in ways that like boggle the mind. It's very much like the raid with even less story and even more action. And if you want to hear me talk at a little more length about this, I encourage you to go back and listen to our fantastic fest recap episode from a few weeks back. So I want to toss the baton to Chris because I want to know how this thing played for him at home for the first time. Uh, yeah, this is probably the most violent film I've ever seen. And, uh, I know that's gonna, not gonna, that might turn some people off and I don't want to make it sound like I love violence. Like I'm not a sociopath, but wait, wait, clarify that. Like, what is an example of why this is the most violent film you've ever seen? It's just, it's nonstop fight scenes. And these fight scenes aren't like, you know, normal Hollywood fight scenes where people get punched. Like these, this is people like jamming animal bones into each other's like heads it's just it's it's insanely <laughs> graphic it's like I, i've never seen i mean i i've seen a lot of violent movies but i don't think i've ever seen something this insanely violent it's just unrelenting and again i i know that's not going to be for everyone but if you have a certain predilection for violent action movies you're gonna get your your money's worth of this because it's very it's very exciting i mean you know the plot is very simple the plot is almost secondary it's literally just an excuse to watch uh one guy fight his way through like eight thousand people who are trying to kill him and uh, you know i, I don't think this movie is going to be for everyone like if I, I i'm pretty sure if i showed my wife this movie she would file for divorce but uh if you if you like <laughs> certain sort of films this is going to be for you I, I i enjoyed it yeah my wife was screaming through it like it was a horror movie because this is this is straight up a horror movie violence it has like you know the pacing and plot of an action movie but the violence is straight up slasher movie craziness it is like every kind of injury and maiming you can imagine by any kind of weapon out there at one point there's a fight scene between two main characters and i described it to my wife as this fight scene uh, uses the room like a buffalo. Every part gets used because if there's an item in that room, it is used to hurt somebody in some way. It is a remarkably crazy movie. And as Chris said, if you have a, if you have a strong enough stomach for all the machete violence in the world, it is truly exciting. And uh, what else have you been watching? Oh, um, following that comes for us. I rewatched Child's Play very late at night. Uh, it's streaming on Hulu right now, and it's and Child's Play holds up. I know. Uh, we have Slash Film has a few writers who are big fans of this franchise in general. I know Chris is a big fan. Uh, Matt Donato, who writes for us regularly, is a big fan. I'm not as big on the Child's Play movies. I think they're generally good, but I don't love them. But Child's Play is the one I like the best. I, I like that Chucky hasn't evolved into a um, wisecracking uh, caricature yet. He's still a mystery. He's still scary. And I like that it, it saves, you know, the reveal that oh my god this doll is alive and murdering people as a as a halfway point thing uh, up to that point it's still very much um up in the air if chucky actually is a supernatural entity or not uh but this one holds up quite well um also i watched speaking of darren brown since peter watched darren brown's sacrifice i rewatched darren brown's the push with some friends who had not seen it i have not seen and this one strangely it is yeah, you think I watched this one, Peter? It's I. It's one. It's one of the few Darren Brown specials I've wanted to watch twice because I want to watch people's reactions to it. And the basic gist is that he goes, you know, the, the casting call um, for looking for people who are socially compliant. Uh, finds a guy who is very socially compliant, and they, he like goes with the crowd, does what he's told. Tells me he tells me he does not he did not get a spot in the show. 
and then lures him into a special event where everybody else is an actor, where he will be manipulated to the point where uh, he'll essentially be peer pressured into committing murder and see if he'll actually go through with it. And uh, it's it's pretty much Darren Brown as Darren Browniest. It is just all sweeping life lessons plus illusion uh, plus human nature, plus psychological stuff, plus really amazing special effects. <laughs> and second time through watching it with other people and seeing them like scream and gasp at the right po- points and watch this guy slowly get encouraged to make increasingly bad decisions. It It's streaming on Netflix, and I want to say more than that. It, it's, a, it's a blast. It's really fun and probably irresponsible. But <laughs> it's really, really irresponsible. It. <laughs> but wait, how, how much of it do you think is real? Uh, I think most of Darren Brown is real. I think some stuff is maybe staged or reshot for television, but um, I, I genuinely believe that ninety-five percent of his stuff is legit. Okay, uh, what what else have you been watching? I made <laughs> I don't, I don't want to call it a mistake, but I watched The Midnight Man last night, which is streaming um, on Amazon, and this is a 2016 remake of a 2013 Irish movie. To give you an idea of how how strange it is that it exists. And the opening scene, the first five minutes are amazing. Like, I was watching the first five minutes thinking, man, this is a hidden gem. These kids in the 50s are being stalked through a house by this evil monster called the Midnight Man. And it features two of the most unrelenting child deaths I've ever seen in a horror movie. Like, these kids get destroyed in ways that, like, have me, like, my hand over my mouth gasping. Because I cannot believe this movie was murdering children as brutally as it was. And then the rest of the movie is such a letdown. It never lives up to the opening five minutes. It gets increasingly bad and stupid. And so I recommend looking up The Midnight Man, watching the first five minutes and turning it off. And that's it. <laughs> um, I also watched True Horror on Shudder. It's a British miniseries. Uh, it is one of those talking head shows where someone explains how they were haunted and there's reenactments. But this one's interesting because the reenactments are actually good. And they're actually really well shot and pretty scary. So if you like those sort of cheesy um, haunting, re- real-life haunting shows, you see like A&E and stuff, but you want one that is actually good and effective, True Horror on Shudder is worth your time. And finally, I spent hours and hours and hours on Saturday and Sunday watching ER. Uh, as I mentioned a few months yeah. ago, my wife and I are, are watching, making way through the series. It's their favorite show from childhood. And I've, I've never seen it before we started streaming on Hulu. And... I thought maybe I'll watch the first few seasons and give up, but I'm hooked on it. It is it's so good. And the fact that a show this good was so popular for so long while it stayed so good is kind of a weird miracle. And that's something we see very often these days. And I know I'm probably approaching the point where the show starts, you know, declining and won't be as good once we hit season seven and eight from from what I'm told. But up through season six, ER is just like really great classic TV that's aged really well. And if you like want to revisit it or if you want to watch it for the first time, I am pleasantly surprised by how ahead of its time and, and thoughtful ER is. And I'm loving it. And uh, Chris, you also spent the weekend watching some Netflix. Tell us about it. Oh, uh, yeah. Netflix has a new show called uh, Haunted, which is a lot like um, that true horror show uh, Jacob just talked about. I watched that, too, a few weeks ago, and I like that. And this is very similar in that, you know, it's, it's the talking head ghost show with reenactments. And like uh, true horror, the reenactments are really good here, and they're really disturbing. And this show has a, has a bit of a twist because usually on, you know, those ghost shows – 
they always wrap it up with something of like a happy ending where it's like, all right, we eventually moved out of the haunted house and we're okay now. But this, this show on Netflix haunted every single story ends on this really bleak note. Like there's this one episode where this guy is convinced a ghost is going to kill him. And it literally ends with him being like any day. Now that ghost is going to kill me. And then it just <laughs> ends. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like, what kind of, what kind of resolution is that? I was not expecting that resolution at all. And they all have that sort of bleak upsetting ending. Like, I, you know, my wife and I, we watched this over the weekend. I was expecting like a cheesy ghost show. And, and I love those cheesy ghost shows where the reenactments are over the top and, you know, you're like, you're, you're watching it and a part of you is like, oh, this is such bullshit. There's no way this happened. But this is this really like bleak existential version of that. So if you're looking for some sort of um, uh, disturbing Halloween content, I would recommend this. It's now streaming. It's only six episodes and they're really short. The episodes are like 20 or 30 minutes. So I, I would recommend checking this out. It's called Haunted. You know, I was also thinking, guys, uh, you know, I was watching the, the Haunting of Hill House. And uh, there's that one point they're like fixing up a ha- old house. Um, and we were talking last week about the property brothers doing uh, they're, they're gonna have a uh, their story adapted by Hollywood. Yes. Um, I was wondering why has Hollywood not done a horror um, found footage? It's you know, an HGTV show where they're like, this the show is you know uh, them completely flipping an old house which just happens to be haunted and then that that is the premise of how you know they capture all the you know shit that goes down. I mean, is that the I worst saw, idea or is that the? It, it's a great idea, and I had this conversation with my wife uh, just recently because we watch Property Brothers all the time, and there's so there's so many found footage movies about like people making haunted houses and the haunted houses actually being haunted that like. I'm shocked no one's made this. There is one movie I saw ages ago. It's terrible. I don't remember what it's called, where it's sort of a House Hunters International style looking for a house um, in a different country reality show. They find a haunted house and things go wrong, but nothing. Well, it was terrible and not good. And I think a renovation of an old house is a much better idea. I don't know. For me, with found footage stuff, it's always about like getting the fact that they're recording the stuff be believable. And, you know, sometimes, it, you know, it goes over that line and it annoys me. I feel like with this premise, it would be all believable that, like, you know, it's a series of a show of them, like, renovating, like, a, you know, destroyed old house that's haunted. But anyways, okay, uh, I'm derailing this podcast. Uh, ben, uh, besides Halloween, what have you been watching? Yeah, so uh, my wife and I were on our trip when A Star is Born came out, so we finally got around to seeing that, and I don't really have a hot take. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I'll i have to go back and listen to the episodes where you guys talked about that movie in a little bit more detail to see how my thoughts sort of align, but um, I mean, it's a hell of a, an impressive directorial debut from Bradley Cooper, I think, um, and the performances are great. I really enjoyed the music, and at a lot of times for me, I know people sort of go crazy over uh, soundtracks for movies like this. And I'm sort of like, oh, yeah, the music was fine. But I actually really, really enjoyed the, all of the songs in this film. Uh, and uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, the, the, I mean, Sam Elliott was really good. I, I didn't really I think it's one of those movies that I I like more the further away from it that I get. Because when I was sitting there, I, I found myself not 
fully con- connecting to some of the moments that I, I know that the movie really wanted to be like emotional powerhouse moments. But um, but after I left the theater and even, you know, into today, I'm still thinking about the movie and it's it's um, it's sitting with me in a way that I didn't expect it to. So, um, yeah, I was a, a big fan of that one. And then uh, I also finished Ozark season one. Um, we have been not binging, but watching that at like, I don't know, one or two episodes every uh, couple days. It's been something that we've been, uh, you know, looking forward to getting to. Once we started, it was like we were immediately hooked. So uh, we finally got through the first season of that. And I I think um, aside from a couple of subplots and like Peter Mullen plays uh, a guy who seems like he walked right out of Justified, um, (laughs) like a like a uh, southern um uh, like a drug deal the the patriarch of a drug dealing family and uh, peter mullen who just appeared in uh the most recent season of westworld i i think he i just don't like his character and his delivery like nothing about that that subplot uh clicks with me but aside from that and maybe a couple other little um you know nitpicks here and there i think the, the first season of ozark is is really good television i, I enjoyed it a lot and i'm looking forward to diving into season two very cool. Uh, Brad, besides watching Halloween twice, what have you been watching? I finally got around to watching uh, the first season of Documentary Now, uh, which is a show on IFC. It's been around for a while, and some friends have always told me to watch it, and I just have never taken the time to sit down. And finally, the other day, I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to watch a couple episodes of this and dig into it. And it's, it's so funny. It's just... It's right up my alley. Uh, Bill Hader and Fred Armisen, um, you start starring a lot of it, but it also has a great a lineup of guest stars. And it's this, if you've never heard of it, you know, by chance or whatever, it's this series that is basically um, a parody of famous documentaries for, from over the years. Uh, the, the series itself is masquerading as this anniversary celebration of a PBS style, uh, like network or channel celebrating 50 years of documentaries. And so they're recapping, you know, all the various documentaries they featured over the years. And it's it's a lot of it's Bill Hader and Fred Armisen starring in these documentaries that very perfectly like recreate the style and, and aesthetic of these, you know, classic documentaries. And it's it's done so with so much love for those movies, but it's also uh, a parody as well and not a parody like on the line of airplane where it's you know there's a, there's a lot of meta stuff and and that, and that kind of thing but it's just it's it's done so well and it's it's so funny i i, I love it and i'm i'm gonna keep watching it uh whenever i get a chance to very cool and ht what have you been watching so i finally saw first man i'm about a week behind everyone else on movies but i watched it and i really liked it um i'm not in love with it again but i like what uh damien chazelle did with creating this uh, visceral, thrilling experience out of what could have been a very ho-hum biopic. And um, it wasn't either like a lionizing depiction of uh, Neil Armstrong. And Ryan Gosling did a really great job depicting that uh, of a flawed um, man who is not really good at communicating and uh, laying out his emotions. And I think that this film kind of interestingly straddles a line between wanting to be a biopic and wanting to be a more experiential type of film, something along the lines of Dunkirk. And I found myself enjoying those sequences a lot more, the more visceral ones that you see um, just like 
them sticking Ryan Gosling in like a metal coffin and just like shaking Ryan Gosling. You know, maybe if they shake him enough, an Oscar will fall out or something. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I, now I I'm like just it. imagining them like taking Ryan Gosling up, like hanging him by like rope and just shaking him. <laughs> see if Oscars are coming out. Yeah, like when is the Oscar coming out? But yeah, I I, I quite enjoyed it, and I um I will say that even though it gave a really thankless role to Claire Foy, she did her best with it, and she had that really great line where she calls all the NASA astronauts a bunch of boys, which I I, I felt down to my core. So I enjoyed like that it tries to do a little bit more than your typical biopic. But it didn't quite wow me as much as I expected it to be. I kind of, I think I kind of expected it to be more along the lines of Dunkirk last year, which really wowed me. And uh, it was fine. It was good. I had re- some really great sequences. Um, and then I also saw uh, Colette, which is the Kira Knightley film in which she stars as the uh, the famous plen- French playwright Colette, who was known for being uh, somewhat androgynous, uh, not quite transgender, but a very like a uh, progressive figure for her time. And um, it was, it was a great, it was a great Keira Knightley film. It was really enjoyable. It was a, another biopic in a sense, but I have, I had some, I think it had a really interesting uh, sort of examination of the relationship that Keira Knightley specifically has and her characters have with like costume in her in her films especially because uh clothing and and sartorial choices play such a large part in this film in particular but i feel like there's something there's a deeper dive to made into this into how this film kind of feels like the epoch of keira knightley films in that way (laughs) and that the clothes and really make keira knightley and vice versa and how you know for example the green dress in atonement is so iconic and every everything that she does is like very much defined by how what she wears uh and uh, in opposite so it it's really interesting how this film plays into those expectations we have with the Karen Knightley film and um, just kind of improves and expands upon them. So I liked Colette a lot. It was great. Um, it's in limited release now, I think. Uh, I recommend it. It also has a really beautiful depiction of um, LGBT, um, an LGBT figure in history. Uh, so that, because she's um, bisexual or perhaps more pansexual. It doesn't really quite get into it, but it's it's a really great film um, that I enjoyed. Uh, and then, uh, apart from Halloween, I watched a screener for what I think is this year's best anime film. I'm going to beat my anime drum again. Look out, you guys can tune out as much as you want. <laughs> um, Mirai. So uh, Mirai is directed by Mamoru Hosoda, who is one of my favorite anime directors. He directed one of my favorite films, The Girl Who Left Through Time, which uh, was a 2006 film about like time travel, but more kind of a slice of life film. And Mirai definitely feels very much in the vein of Mamoru Hosoda films in that they tackle these slice of life stories uh, through the lens of a very flawed protagonist. Um, and with a very large magical realism sort of um, twist on it as well. It's a beautiful, lovely, enchanting film that uh, is is a little is is kind of subdued, but it's um, it feels incredibly vibrant and very grounded and real. It I these words kind of feel meaningless when I pile them up on top of each other, but it's a very wonderful film that uh, definitely has a more interesting protagonist than I've seen in an anime film. It's 
it's about um, a six-year-old boy who is, his new sibling arrives and he has sibling envy because his parents are paying attention to her more than him. And basically he ends up having these sort of illusions and um, fantasies where he suddenly finds himself experiencing his, his mother's childhood or his uh, grandfather's um adulthood or like the far future and it's a really it's a beautiful examination of just family legacy and life and uh family connection so i i highly recommend it uh it comes out in limited release in u.s theaters november 30th so it will be coming out in the u.s this year uh and i'm i'm very excited for it and i hope that you guys can check it out if you can i will try and also that uh the time travel movie from the same same filmmaker what, what was that called the Girl Who Leapt Through Time. I'm going to have to check that out as well. Um, okay, let's go on to what we've been eating. Brad, what have you been eating? It's just me. It's always just me. <laughs> um, this is kind of a boring one for some of you out there, but um, so there's been – I've noticed hey, a series so, of – Someone might find this as a tip that's life-changing. So It's, it's true. Well, I, and I just did. So uh, there's a series of McDonald's commercials that I've seen lately where – Basically, the whole gist is like focusing on the unique ways that um, people who get food from there eat, eat certain things. Um, like, for example, some people like to dip fries in their milkshakes. Uh, that, like, and like some people that go to Wendy's. Those, like, those to people are insane. I'm just yeah. Saying, some people like to dip their fries in Frosties at Wendy's. There's one that I noticed, though, that I had never thought of before. And I was like, oh, my God, that's a brilliant idea. And it's a series of people taking their hash brown from McDonald's breakfast and putting it on their McMuffin or whatever breakfast sandwich you get. So I normally, if I go to McDonald's and get breakfast, I usually get a sausage, egg and cheese McMuffin meal, and it comes with a hash brown. I've always had the hash brown separately, but I was like, I'm going to put the hash brown on the sandwich this time. And it's seriously a game changer. It's because the hash brown <laughs> is, is, is so crispy, and you put it on the sandwich, and it's just it's this great mix, like add, adding the potato to the sandwich, and it adds a crisp to it. And it's it's I'm gonna do it every time now because it was it was freaking amazing. See, if McDonald's was owned by the same company that owns Taco Bell, they would make a breakfast sandwich where the bread is actually replaced by the hash browns. No, see that would be KFC. KFC would do or KFC that. or KFC. Yeah. Well, yeah. no, Taco Bell also did the chicken taco thing, right? Oh, that's true. Yeah, they, yeah and yeah. they actually and they did the the egg taco too. Yeah. Wait, egg taco? You didn't see that? No. They, they, they made a taco, a breakfast taco, where the shell was a like a, a fried egg, basically. Weird. Wait. So, Brad, how do you I... eat that? <laughs> they, put, I'm just... they put it in like a cardboard taco sleeve so that you can like peek it out over the edge of it and eat it like that. It sounds like a bad idea. It's pretty. It was pretty good. I tried it. They don't still have it. Uh, I don't think so. I think okay. it, they bring it back every now and then. Interesting. Okay, let's move on to what we've been playing. And again, this is only Brad. What have you been playing? Uh, so I'm obsessed with the new Halloween score. It's easily one of the best parts of the the new movie. Um, I waited to listen to it until I saw the movie, just because that's my thing. I, I don't like to listen to film scores, even if they're out a week or two before the movie is out. I want to see the movie first and hear the music in context and then listen to it afterwards. So I've been listening to it ever since I saw the movie, and yesterday... And, and that way you avoid spoilers, too. I remember exactly. episode one coming out, and there being, like, Obi-Wan's... Or, no, not, uh, who was it? Qui-Gon Qui Ginn's noble... funeral. What? Qui-Gon's noble end, wasn't it? 
something I like that. I thought it was his funeral, but yeah, maybe it was. Like it was funeral, yeah. Either way, it totally spoiled that movie for me. Okay, go on. I'm sorry. But yeah, so I uh, I've been listening to it nonstop, and yesterday I um my mom hadn't seen Halloween yet, so we went together to see it, and when we got home. Uh, I, I dropped her off back at her house, and as she was going into the, into the house, I plugged my phone in, and I brought the soundtrack up, and I turned up my radio, and there's <laughs> one track on the soundtrack, The Shape Returns, where the very first thing you hear is the, the, the signature sound, the Dylan and I played it really loudly, and she and it scared the shit out of her, and it was, it was hilarious. <laughs> Uh, I, I need to download that soundtrack. That soundtrack, like, I, I love how it's, like, the same thing, but it just gets, like, grander and more epic in, like, its scope. But, uh, yeah. Um, anyways, th- that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. Uh, we have too many people on this podcast to, to go through everybody, but you can find all of us on SlashFilm.com or you can search our names on Twitter or social media. Uh, you can find this podcast, Slash Film Daily, published every weekday on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to Peter at SlashFilm.com. You can also ask your life advice from our own Chris Evangelista at that same email. That's Peter at SlashFilm.com. Uh, and uh, please go to our iTunes page, give us a five-star review, write some good words, tell your friends. Spread the word. We'll see you tomorrow. Hey, Peter, do you know what time it is? Uh, uh, what, what time is it, Jacob? It, it's time for me to read from the gargantuan book of insult, offense, and affrontery by uh, Louis A. Safan. If you must. You know when Jacob said that? I thought it, I could imagine poking his head around a corner like a haunted house like worker. <laughs> now, now, I don't want to disrupt your plans here, Jacob, but is there a section of this book that has something to do with Halloween? My guess is no, because it's an all-purpose guide, not a seasonal guide. <laughs> the only purpose that thing should serve is kindling for a fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't see any sections for Halloween, but I did open up to the random section on features, in case you guys want some good old physical insults today. Okay. Go for it. <clears throat> <clears throat> mm. <laughs> Jesus. Ben, he's a man of polish, mostly around his head. <laughs> sure. Okay. Yep, yep. Brad, he combs his hair with a sponge. Mm. <laughs> Are those bald jokes? Uh, so? Uh, Peter, he has less hair to comb, but more face to wash. <laughs> who, who Why are these all about being bald? <laughs> I don't know, Chris. It's not that you're bald headed. You just have a tall face. Okay. <laughs> who, who do I write in for a complaint in our HR department? You, uh, I think. Oh, I'm me. trying to find a non bald one for HT. <laughs> this face is all I... bald ones. <laughs> hey, HT, your mouth is so big you eat a banana sideways. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, Jokes on you! I, I love bananas. I I, I I just pictured a cartoon version of HT that's kind of like um that Japanese game show where you know there's like a shape and the person has to jump through it in that shape and she like all of a sudden her like mouth goes into the shape of banana as the banana is just coming towards her. <laughs> like a body horror type image right there. <laughs> okay, I think I think we've had enough. I think. <laughs> 
that's enough for this week. <laughs> I'm actually surprised that there is not a Halloween section. I'm surprised too, actually. I slipped through the table of contents and not even a Christmas section or holidays. No, no holiday oh. section. Wow. I wonder if there's a sequel to this book. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to write edition, in. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Actually, there's a birthday section and that's it. <laughs> okay. We're leaving it there. Thanks for listening, guys. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.